I'm Chris from Nerd Alert News, a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual host. Check out all the other great podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in three, two, one. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. If you are brand new to the show, this show is all about Magic the Gathering as well as some D&D, that's Dungeons and Dragons, sprinkled in here and there as well as whatever the hell else I like talking about. But mainly it's about Magic the Gathering. But I guess before we get into the show here, let's roll some ads right there before we get even further into this. Roll that. Jazzy, what does the calculator say about the shipping costs? It's over $9! What? $9? There's no way that could be right! At LegitMTG.com, we don't charge shipping for any order over $2 or more. We're not like those other guys who make you spend an arm and a leg to get free shipping. Come on down to LegitMTG.com for all your magic needs and be sure to get that free shipping special. That's LegitMTG.com. Visit today. So we just had Pro Tour Ixalan this past weekend, and let me say, um, I didn't get to watch as much as I wanted to, uh, mainly because, not that I, I was, you know, busy just doing stuff, but I also kind of forgot to. Um, I did watch, I did manage to watch at least the top eight on um, on um, 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 Sunday, and w- was able to at least see the final match between Seth Manfield and Paulo, oh no, uh, Pedro Mascal, Pasco, Pascal. I'm so good at names here. Pascal Maynard, Menard, Maynard, Maynard, Menard. Um, however you say his name, but I was able to see that. And let me see. There was just one, two, three, four, four energy decks. Uh, we had four color energy. Teamer Energy, White Blue God Pharaoh's Gift, which I fucking hate that deck. Saltai Energy, Jeskai Approach, Four Color Energy, Ramanop, Ramanap, Ramanap Red, and Mardu Vehicles, surprisingly. Shit, we haven't seen that in forever. Um, but yeah, that was basically the top eight there. Uh, our top eight uh, players in the Pro Door were Mike Segris, a.k.a. Brad Nelson, uh, Christian Hayuk, 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 like Goofy, right there. Um, um, in case you didn't know, I'm terrible at saying names. So, Pascal, Pascal, Maynard, Menard, however you say it. Seth Manfield. Oh, fuck, I don't even know how to fucking pronounce this. Guliam, Guliam, Matignan, Matignan, maybe? Matignan? M A T I G N O N, Matignan, and Guliam, Guliam. I have no idea. Uh, oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> Piotr Glogowski. Glogowski? The, the last name's easier to pronounce, but the first name. P-I-O-T-R-P-Piotr? Piotr? Maybe? Is that how you say it? I don't know. John Rolfe on Ramen Up Red. And Samuel Eichlenfeltz. God fucking shit. These fucking names here. Jesus. 
<sighs> yeah, it's kind of hard. Yeah, I, I don't know how to pronounce like any of these names. But anyways, so th- that was a top eight. Um, I saw some really good matches. And um, yeah, and this is, I'm guilty of this too when it comes to playing Magic. But, and I guess, you know, when you're at that top eight, you know, you're going to get nervous and all that shit. I mean, yeah, I mean, hell, there have been times where I get nervous in the finals of an FNM, you know, the last round, and I'm, you know, tied for first place, but it's, everybody's just so fidgety, <laughs> it's like, no one can stop moving, no one can stop, like, fucking their cards, it's, it's like, oh my gosh, just, just fucking give them a chill pill or something, damn, give them some edibles or some shit just to calm them down, but I get it, I understand, you know, stakes are high, and you're super tense, and you know, you've just had three days of playing magic and you're pretty much exhausted by that point when you're at the top eight. And I get it. I understand. It's just, especially in the finals with Seth Manfield and Pascal, Pascal, I'm going to completely butcher that every single time. Like Seth was just so jittering. It's like, I get it. I, I honestly understand. I empathize with it. But it was just sometimes like he's like fucking shaking and his legs tapping and it's like I'm like oh my god calm down and Pascal listen bro you're no better all right you're flicking cards like insanely and it's like holy crap <laughs> just give him a volume or give both of them a volume or some shit like that just calm them down <laughs> that would be pretty funny give them like have the top eight just since you know since they're all freaking nervous like give them all some Xanax or edibles or some shit and just be like all right okay you want to play some magic bro all right all right we got this let's do it and they're just like mm, yeah they all get in trouble from the judges because of slow play you're like mm, oh sorry so slow play okay cool um okay cool you're gonna play a gear hawk all right um counter i guess maybe you know but like i said i understand Pe- people's nerves are shot by that point and i get it um so, yeah, that was um, the top eight there. A lot of energy decks, and there was a lot of talk on Twitter, as usual, about should there be some sort of ban on energy decks. And before we get, even get into that, because I've got a lot to say about that, even though right now in Standard I'm playing Team or Energy, which I'm playing more of a control-type energy, and um, it's... And like, I'll be honest, like I'm freaking bored of playing the deck, but I I don't I don't have any interest in any other standard deck right now. But um, I just gotta say, in that very final match between Seth and Pascal, Glint Sleeve Siphoner was the MVP of that final match. Um, just when he got two of those Glint Sleeves and he was just constantly drawing cards off it, it was insane. It was just simply insane that. He just got so much value off those two cards, and that's pretty much what won him the game, those two cards. And it's almost making me want to change my team or energy back to Jund energy, uh, because I honestly prefer playing Jund more than Teamer. Uh, Jund, it's the Teamer does have the better control variance. At least I can at least stop, prevent people from playing big stuff, but... Um, it was just, Jund was just a lot more fun to me, honestly, because Winding Constrictor and then just getting, oh, look, crap tons of energy going on there. But, um, yeah, I, I, I gotta shout, I gotta give shout out to Glint Sleeve Siphoner right there. You're the MVP 
of Pro Tour Ixalan or Ixlaxon. All right, so let's get to the real story here. Should there be something done with the prevalence of energy? I myself, like I was saying earlier, I'm playing Teamer Energy and I'm bored to death of playing it. I am bored to death of playing against it. Not just Teamer, but just any variation of energy because it feels like it's the same kind of plan. By turn two, get Servant of the Conduit or Long Tusk Cub down. You know, maybe, you know, start controlling the board, get some energy built up, and then Bristling Hydra, Glorybringer, etc. Yada, 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 etc. Yada, Walking Ballista, ping you, you're dead. All right, it's it's basically the same game plan. I mean, if you want to go a little bit even deeper, all decks have the basic same game plan, and that's when. But energy, currently right now, I think there's, what, only really one card that exists in standard that can even interact, quote-unquote, as I put up my fingers to do the little quotesies, to, that can interact with energy, and that's solemnity. Salamity, salami, salami, um, which is the two and a white enchantment. Players can't get counters, which basically you can no longer gain energy counters. Um, but even then, that still doesn't really stop energy. I mean, yeah, it stops the counters, the counter plan, and all that stuff. But I mean, it can still do a basic beatdown deck at that point. And you know, of course, if you're expecting that, you'd side in enchantment hate. But when I go to MTG Goldfish and look at the current meta percentage of the three energy variations, that's Teamer Energy, which is the largest one at thirty point forty five percent. Uh, Saltai Energy, which is at 8.27%, and Four Color Energy, which the four colors are blue, black, red, and green, and that's at 5.64%. If we add up all that together, that's 44.36% of the meta. That is almost half of the meta. So if you go to a standard FNM, IQ, PPTQ, GP, you are going to be facing a lot of energy. Even when we look at the Pro Tour Ixalan meta, there was a lot of energy decks. Um, I don't have the numbers pulled up in front of me, and I don't feel like, frankly, looking for them again, but it was a lot, okay? Um, so, and let's, let's be honest here. When we look at past standards, I mean... Was even Abzan even that high at one point? Um, let me look at some of the old archives. So Cons of Tarkir came out in 2014. Holy shit. Um, so let's just look at by March 2015. Um, so yeah, March 2015, Abzan was, of course, the top tier deck. Um, of course, I don't have a percentage of it. Uh, no, I don't, but, um, I mean, Abzan was everywhere, you know, I mean, hell, even, let's even harken back to Return to Ravnica and, um, Theros, where it was blue-white, I mean, mono-black, and, um, what, Gruul, I think it was, huh, right? Fuck, I don't even remember at the time, but it, it was just a lot of that, all right, and it's, and I'm not saying that energy decks are unbeatable. Yes, they are very beatable. I mean, 
we're not looking at levels of Aetherworks Marvel where it was basically turn four and you spend, you know, you basically roll the wheel and see if you get a turn four Ulamog or not, or Emrakul, or even Kozilek, if anybody ever ran Kozilek. I, I miss Kozilek. He was, he was a cool guy. He didn't kill or hurt anybody. But, um, you know, I mean, I don't think we're at that quite levels where, you know, with Aetherworks Marvel, something needs to be done, you know, because that those decks were just ridiculous. And we're definitely not at copycat levels of where it was basically another turn four, hey, infinite combo, you win type situation. There's none of that with energy. Energy decks are just your standard mid-range beatdowns. And it it's such a large part of the meta, and I'm afraid if we were to ban anything from that, ban anything from energy, we're there's I mean, I don't know, you'd have to ban a lot of stuff from energy. I mean, a lot of the cards that I see people talking about the most is a tune with Aether. Because that is the one green you search for a land and it gives you two energy. And it's in every single energy deck. And it's why not? Because it's so good. It gives you that two energy and it gets you an extra land if you're, you know, short on lands or that color fixing if you need that color fixing there. So would that even stop energy decks? No, I don't think it would even stop them. It would severely weaken them. But, you know, there's other ramp cards out there, right? I mean, maybe not as good, but I mean, we also have the other cards that we probably should be looking at as well too. Long Tusk Cub, but Long Tusk Cub dies to Fatal Push very easily. It dies to Harness Lightning very easily. It dies to a Braid. It dies to a lot of stuff. Um, Rogue Refiner is another one because it gives you energy and it lets you draw a card. Um, that, that once again can die to fatal push with revolt. Um, it can die to a lot of stuff, harness, lightning, a braid. Um, those are, I know those are just the common ones. Lightning strike too, but people aren't really running lightning strike right now. And then there's whirler virtuoso as well too, because whirler virtuoso can win you games. And I should know because it's won me a lot of games. So I, I honestly, with, with all this talk of banning something in team or energy or even any of the energy decks, I don't think it's warranted. I think we need to wait and maybe see if the meta adjusts to energy decks, especially after the Pro Tour now. I mean, we have a Grand Prix coming up, Grand Prix Atlanta, which I am going to. Um, but, you know, I'll be interested to at least see the meta there. I'm not participating in the main event. I'm going to be doing the infinite side challenges. And I do plan on playing maybe a round or two of standard. Maybe. I don't know. But. Even then, I'm excited to see what the meta is going to be looking like right after a pro tour. Um, you know, is God Pharaoh's gift? God Pharaoh's gift. Now, that is a deck that is annoying because even if you constantly counter or kill the artifact, you know, eventually they can just slow down the game to where they can just cast the creatures from their hands. But God Pharaoh's gift doesn't feel unbeatable, but if they get that. God Pharaoh's gift card out early and you don't have a way to destroy that artifact, you're pretty much done at that point. So, but I, I really don't think there should be any cards even up for banning right now. I mean, we don't even know what Rivals of Ixalan is going to have. It could have answers to energy that we're just not aware of. Maybe they put in something last minute after they saw Ixalan didn't really change the meta, so to say. And then 
like I was saying before, if we look at the current banned standard cards, uh, which is Aetherworks Marvel, that needs to stay banned. I agree with that. Well, I, well, no, it could probably still stay banned because it could be a turn four. I don't know, Carnage Tyrant or some other stupid big creature. Um, Felidar Guardian, yes. As long as Kaladesh is in standard and Felidar Guardian is in Aether Revolt. So, yeah, as long as those two cards, uh, Sahili Ray and Felidar Guardian are in standard, that needs to stay banned. Um, if they really wanted to unban it, then they can just errata the text. Um, and then Smuggler's Copter. Smuggler's Copter now, I don't think would be as bad, but it would definitely make energy decks even better. Um, you know, I could see them banning a tune with Aether. Then if they unban Smuggler's Copter, okay, all the energy decks put Smuggler's Copter in, in instead. And, you know, good for them. Um, but I don't see them unbanning that as well. Uh, probably it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm still kind of a little butthurt that when they ban Smuggler's Copter because of my Bant Flash deck. <sighs> it was so cool. But, um, you know... It's at this point, Wizards has got to realize that if they banned another card right now, if they went and banned another card that is affecting the top tier deck, people are going to lose all confidence in standard. They are going to completely just lose their shit. And I don't blame them for losing their shit. I would lose my shit because it would just be like, what's the point in playing standard if I want to play the best deck and it's just going to get banned? I went through this same exact talk the last time the first round of bannings happened when um with my Bant Flash deck. I was so mad, so irritated. I went and sold my deck right away and sold all my good cards for it. And, you know, I got a decent amount of money for it, but I was still angry about it. And I refused to play standard for a few months until Amonkhet sucked me back in um, with Jund Energy. But it's, it, I don't know. I feel it would be in Wizards' best interest to not ban anything and let the meta take care of itself. We do not know what Rivals has, and we do not know if it's going to change the meta. Maybe Dinosaur Ramp is going to be a thing when Rivals comes out. Maybe it'll be an actual deck. Maybe, I don't know, Control will take more precedence again, and it will I don't know, be even better. Who, who knows? We don't know. But I, I am excited to see the meta, what it, how it's going to shape right after Pro Tour, Ixalan, and just take it from there. So as I mentioned before, this podcast will be coming out this Friday. I'm recording on a Wednesday night, the 8th. So this Friday, the 10th, I'm going to be driving up to Georgia, since I am down here in Florida. I'm going to be driving up to Georgia and going to Grand Prix Atlanta. So if any of my listeners are going to be there at Grand Prix Atlanta. Just look out for my Twitter. I'm going to be at the convention Saturday and Sunday. I'll be there all day. Um, both Saturday and Sunday, I'll be there all day. I'll be in the infinite sideboard challenges. Um, it's from start to close. I'm going to be doing as many challenges as I can. 
I'm just really going there to have some fun, you know, hang out with some buddies and just play a lot of magic. And as I mentioned before in other episodes, by by the time I get home, I'm going to be looking at my wife and be like, I don't even want to look at another magic card again. And then the next day I'm going to be like, oh, cool, I've got ideas for decks that I want to do because um, that's usually what will happen. But I am super excited. If you definitely want to meet, just look out for my Twitter. I'm going to be posting. Hopefully there's good signal in the convention center so I can actually post stuff. Um I'm going to be bringing a, a portable microphone with me to be able to record. I am going to be recording on the way there and recording with the buddies and maybe try to do some interview with people. Maybe the cosplayers there and just ask them some stuff. And I don't, if I see any pro players, maybe I don't know. We'll, we'll see. And um, yeah, I am definitely excited. Um, some of you have actually reached out to me to say you want to meet up and like you say, we can meet up at the convention center and I don't know, maybe play some magic and then you'll beat me and be like, Oh wow. Like I was saying before, you're terrible at magic. Oh my gosh. And yeah. Um, but super excited about it. Cannot wait. Um, I'm going to be, I know I'm going to be having a lot of magic going on, a lot of magic to talk about and just magic everywhere and cannot wait for it. And I hope to see you all there that are going. And yeah, it's going to be great. So let's change things up a little bit here. Let's talk about some Dungeons and Dragons. So I DM the second session of our Lost Minds of Fandelver. We were down um, two players. Uh, the one player, the Warlock, I don't know what happened to him. He just sort of disappeared and never showed up again. And then our Cleric uh, had to... I mean, no, no, he was out of state. He was somewhere. Um, I think it was some family thing. So he was gone. So, and we had our fourth player, the rogue, sign up for the, not sign up, but join up for the first time. And then we had the dragonborn paladin that I mentioned before, uh, the one who was raised by wolves and is an outlander, but lawful good, no lawful neutral paladin. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I let my players, if they want to create a crazy backstory, sure, whatever. You know, that's fine. I'm not going to... I don't really like being a DM or the kind of, no, you're a paladin. You can't be raised by wolves and, you know, and be a paladin at the same time. No, you need something that will fit. You know, hey, you want to be a paladin that was, you know, a criminal in the past and, I don't know, atoned for your sins and whatever? Okay, cool, sure, whatever. I mean, that that's the beauty of D&D. You create your character and you, you can let it be whoever the fuck you want. So it was our second session of Lost Minds of Fandelver and it started with them in Fandolin, uh, though I, I keep wanting to say Warlock. No, the Warlock didn't wake up. Um, but the cleric was staying at the church and, um, the paladin was at the inn with Sildar Hallwinter and he meets the rogue. Uh, the rogue is a halfling rogue and he meets the rogue just asleep in the inn in the tavern part and, you know, throws a roll at him and he eats it and then they meet and do some RP and Sildar base the, the way I was basically taking with Sildar is that he has the map to the wave echo cave with him, but he can't read you know what it says or where to find it um it's in ancient dwarvish so they need gundren rock seeker because i kind of screwed up because i know gundren has the map in it so i'm like oops so uh you guys can't read the map uh you need gundren just so they actually have to go to cragmaw castle and rescue gundren but um what was funny was you know i was doing a little bit of exposition the innkeeper was telling them about the town and how it got taken over by the red brand ruffians and that a glass staff is the one, you know, 
take ruling the red brands and Sildar mentions, you know, that he has a buddy that was staying at the Tresindar Manor. Tresindar, I think that's how you say it. The Tresindar Manor. And he hasn't heard from him. And that's where the Red Brand Ruffians headquarters are. So two Red Brand Ruffians walk into the tavern and, you know, they're demanding food. It's breakfast time. So they're demanding like, you know, eggs and bacon and sausage, whatever the hell. And the Red Brands come up to the Rogan Paladin and just and Sildar and are basically, you know, eyeing him up and. You know, they're, they're both humans, so they're looking at this giant dragonborn and a small little halfling and a human and just basically talking, you know, saying, hey, we don't know who you are. You know, what are you doing in this town? You know, we know everybody here. And, you know, if you're just passing by, you need to pay pay your share of the taxes, pretty much, you know, type simple thing. So they decide to have a fight. Um, They easily kill one of the bandits. The other bandit tries to escape and they take the fight outside of the tavern and at the time you know it's a time of morning where everybody's waking up and the market in the town square is starting to get set up and there's people there and so they kill the bandit in the middle of a crowd and then five more bandits show up and <laughs> the um dragonborn just throws the dead body at the five bandits and they were pissed off and they started fighting the the paladin rogue and sildar and yeah, they ended up capturing the rogue. Um, my second PC died. Uh, the paladin died, and while they were fighting him, so they captured the rogue. I forget the oh, the rogue's name is Cade, and I kept thinking of Cade from Destiny. And um, so, but the the player he had no he never played he's never played Destiny before, so he's just like no no no, Cade's a character from his old you know D and D campaign or whatever. So that was funny. And, um, so they take him to the manor. He takes, they take the paladin and the rogue to the manor. Sildar's left there, you know, kind of beaten. And, um, they don't take him, but they take the rogue and paladin to the manor and they put him in the jail cells where the, the, the mother and the two kids are for the Myrna's heirloom quest. I think it was, uh, the paladin's dead. So I had, um, the paladin player, I basically told him, all right, well, if you want to keep your character, you know, exactly the same, I'll let you basically use him again, but he has to be a different name, different character. And so he did, he called him, I forgot the first name it was like Xana, Xanthrid or something like that, or something with the, with starting with an X and, but he called this new one. All right. His name's Gil. And, um, <laughs> and, and basically just gave him a country accent and pretty much the same background and everything, but slightly different. And I was just, I didn't really want to spend the time with him since he's a brand new player. I just had him, I, I didn't feel like having him do his whole character sheet again. So that's, I just had him change his name and that was it. I was just, you know, I don't feel like waiting around waiting for this. I just want to keep going. So as so I I went I focus on the rogue a little bit. The rogue managed to escape the jail cell. Uh, a guard came in to check on him, and he killed the guard. And he got the the mother and two kids out. But at the same time, the new paladin uh, was just asleep at the tavern. And Sildar comes in looking for some help, and you know tells about what happened outside with the other paladin and the rogue. And they go up to the manor, and they find it eerily quiet. And they go in the manor and go downstairs and then they go past the trap room, the trap hallway. And then they go into the big room where the three skeletons are supposed to be. But 
I forgot they were skeletons, so I made them zombies instead. So, oops, my bad there. Um, so they fought the zombies. They decided to go back into town to, you know, let the the mother and two kids, you know, recover and relax. And then they, um, the 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 mother tells them about Mer- the heirloom that's at um, is it Thunder Tree? I think it is or shit i forget the name of the town and that how it's overrun by undead and they're like "Ooh, we need to check that out sildar reminds them of glass staff is still running the town and that they still and he still needs to find his friend who's at the manor because he's worried about him um and so they they sort of go around town first to maybe um the what what did they do they got some gear i think i think i had them buy some items like some potions and they went into the apple or- orchard and they met a really old dwarf and oh shit i forgot his name but i just had him talk like this like you know them red brand ruffians they're just causing ruckuses around here it's nothing but ruckuses you know i just i just, six months ago they were just causing ruckuses and just he was saying ruckus a lot and you know they liked it they enjoyed it it was funny for them and um so after that they oh that's right the apple orchard quest um that was the other one where they find a treasure or something and it's at thunder tree or the other town and it's of course run overrun by undead as well too uh so they gave he the apple orchard guy gave him that side quest but then they decide to go back to the manor they go in a little bit they go past the room where the zombies were or slash skeletons and they um find the little armory that's there then they go in the little storeroom and and um then they go in the cavern part where the nothic is and the nothic part was pretty cool they decide to cross the bridge over the crevice none of them have dark vision so they had a torch with them so the nothic would be able to find them very easily and um so i what i did even though the nothic can't really do this but you know it's my campaign so i had to do it anyway when they crossed the bridge they saw an image of an old man telling them hey i know what you're looking for if you just follow me and i had um earlier i had the players tell me like what their favorite thing or what you know their kind of end goal is for their character the one rogue is like i just love eating rolls like rolls is his favorite food and um the paladin of course wanted to find his true parents and all that and so I, I was just having them and of course Sildar wanted to find Gundren his friend so that that was the the whole um thing with the Nothic where just sort of telling them like hey come follow me here come follow me and I had and I had them each roll a perception check all of them failed except the rogue and the rogue just started noticing the the image of the old man started to shimmer like sort of like be distorted and static and the rogue told him and then the Nothic just jumps out surprise does a surprise round on him and um almost killed i think it almost killed the rogue and really hurt the paladin pretty bad and they did that fight for a little bit and they um they they oh that's right the rogue did i think that was the battle where the rogue did a shit ton of damage because sneak attack is too damn good my gosh it's so good at early levels but you know that's the game so that was where they ended they killed the nothic and we were actually running a little not really running late but we only had basically an hour left a little bit no less than an hour left before we had to end the campaign anyway and um 
but I wanted I wanted to save the other half of the manor because there there was definitely more than an hour's worth of content for them to keep exploring the other side of the manor because there are other fights and I'm not going to ruin the rest of it in case they're listening to this so that was fun. Um, as far as other D&D news goes, I am super excited that Xanathar's Guide to Everything is coming out. I think it's next week. I'm definitely going to have to buy it. Um, it's going to have a whole skew of new spells and new class features, subclasses, and I'm going to review it. I'm going to read it and eat it up. And I'm also trying to think of other D&D content that I want to add. I was doing the random monster manual reading, which I still want to do. I just don't want to do it every single time. Maybe I'll even do a random spell reading. But there's, I think I also want to do some reviews of modules as well, too, for you all. Uh, Lost Minds of Phandelver will definitely be a good one to review because this is like my third or fourth time DMing it. And, um, yeah. And I, I've definitely, I haven't ran any of the other 5th edition modules. I've read the Horde of the Dragon Queen and the Rise of Tiamat ones. And I enjoyed reading them, but I haven't actually played them. And then I'm still kind of reading Tomb of Annihilation. I haven't even read Curse of Strahd yet. But no, I, I kind of want to review... Hell, maybe I should even review the Player's Handbook and stuff. Because I've got some fucking complaints about that. Player's Handbook is fucking confusing. Um, just the way it's laid out is... I mean, once you know how to build a character, know what you're doing, the Player's Handbook is fine. But as a new new reader like when i'm having a new person go through the player's handbook they are so confused as to what the hell to do and why you and where you have to flip back and forth so many times is not very user friendly at all especially for someone brand new to it but for more advanced players it's fine because you know we're used to that um you know i i need to go back and go through the third and fourth edition of D&D and just see how see if it's any easier creating a character it's been forever since I've played fourth edition and forever since I no I don't know I never even played third edition because I only played second or I think 2.5 that was way back when I was a kid long long time ago that was before um, that was when D&D was still under TSR I think wasn't even bought by Watsy or Hasbro yet or whatever it was um so yeah it's, I should probably do that, get those books, and just see see if the user experience was any better back then compared to what it is now, looking through the eyes of a new player. So, yeah, I think I'm going to do that. I mean, don't expect it, you know, next week or whatever, because next week is going to be chalk-filled with Grand Prix Atlanta goodness of, oh, my gosh. I, I may have to, depending on how much content I actually record, I mean, not that I'm going to put every single bit of content that I record up because a lot of it could be really boring, but it's, I'm, it may even be a two parter, like a two week series. I don't know. It really depends. So yeah. So definitely look forward to mo some more D and D content, more D and D reviews, even some random readings, random spells, because I enjoy doing that. And you know, it's, I've been enjoying D and D more. It's, it's, if you're not a fan of D&D, if you're afraid to try it out, just don't be. It's it's so easy to get into now. That is one thing that I love about 5th edition, and I've heard the complaints about 5th edition that it's a little bit too streamlined. Yes, there is. there's definitely things about it that make it way too easy, and 
have definitely streamlined it. But you know the best thing about D&D 5th Edition is that I can play with my 8-year-old. Even though she doesn't understand all the minutiae, all the um, more complexness, the metagame of it. And we can just roll some dice and have some fun. Now, I know that is the end, the end goal of D&D, but 5th edition just helps it bring it to the forefront for newer players a lot easier. And if you want that deeper role-playing experience, there is plenty of other systems out there. Pathfinder is one. Um, I don't really know a lot about Pathfinder, but everything I've heard is it's very similar to 3rd edition D&D. And if that's what you like, more power to you. I've played the um, Vampire Masquerade. Vampire Masquerade was really cool uh, creating the characters. It, it felt very in-depth, you know, with the different families you could choose. Um, there's, I mean, hell, there's even as easy systems like Torg, which are really easy to set up. So, I mean... Yeah, it like I said, if you you're still on the fence about trying to read up on it, maybe get some friends, get a starter set of D and D fifth edition, and that is very very helpful. It's so much fun, and you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you're you know never ever attempt to even read up about it. I mean, even if it so- sounds somewhat interesting, like if you're into games like Skyrim or you know Final Fantasy or, or hell even Dark Souls, I guess just basically like RPG games. You know, there, there's something out there for you, and that's what I love about D&D is it's so open-ended. It could be anything you want it to be, and not just D&D, but just tabletop role-playing altogether. So we talked about Magic, we talked about Grand Prix Atlanta, and hell, we even talked about D&D this week. So what else has been going on? Um, I didn't touch on this last episode because I brought my wife on and I wanted to really talk to her about or talk with her about um you know the whole women in magic ordeal that was going on but you know I did manage to snag a little well-known game called Super Mario Odyssey and I wanted to talk about it real quick maybe give it a quick little review um I guess I'll try to make it spoiler free but I mean, I don't know anybody who really plays Mario for the story since the story is exactly the same. I mean, just like Zelda, this with Legend of Zelda, the story is exactly the same. Oh, you got to save Zelda. Oh, look, in Mario, you got to save Princess Peach again because Bowser is trying to marry her. And um, I saw a funny little meme that throughout the quote unquote story of Mario Odyssey, at least Bowser is trying to make a proper wedding like he's actually trying to find food and drink and a proper dress for peach and a proper you know suit for himself and make sure he finds the right flowers you know it is pretty funny that way and mario is just going to come and stop that wedding how rude of him what if peach wanted to get married and mario's just you know the jealous boyfriend uh, like in um oh my god what's that What's that one movie with Dustin Hoffman where he stops the wedding at the end of the movie because he's banging his girlfriend's mom, Mrs. Robinson? Oh, my gosh. What is it? The Graduate? Is it The Graduate? Oh, is it? Is it The Graduate? I'm going to be looking it up now. Yes, The Graduate. Yeah. So that that's pretty much what happens at the end of the game. The Peach is about to marry Bowser, and he's up there in the little... Um, Overviewer, the overhead, he's banging on the window. He's like, It's a me, a peach, you can't marry a Bowser. And then they get on the bus, and then Mario's just like, Oh, 
I think the thrill of finding you was more exciting than actually wanting to marry you or some shit. But no, that's not what really happens because I haven't beaten the game yet and I have no idea. But that's just what sort of is going through my mind as I'm talking about this here. <gasps> But anyways, um, if you've been living under a rock, um, you know the main gimmick, the new gimmick of Mario Odyssey is his hat where he can throw things and become things such as bullet bills or Goombas or frogs or even Tyrannosaurus Rexes. Yes, he can become a dinosaur. And um, it's the game is more akin to Mario 64 and Mario Sunshine than it is to Mario Galaxy 1 and 2 or even 3D World. It is my biggest complaint right off the bat with the game and i understand this is more aimed for the younger generation i completely get that and i understand my big complaint is the game is a little bit too easy and i preface by that by saying it's so far as far as the i guess quote-unquote story missions go there i can't even I mean, yeah, maybe my eight-year-old would have some issues with it, which, yeah, I can understand. Um, but it's not even mildly hard. Um, and that that's a little bit disappointing. Even And another complaint that I have with it is there are too many moons because we no longer collect stars. It's moon, which is essentially the same thing. I'm, I'm probably going to you know, slip up and say stars here. My big problem with there being too many moons is... A lot of them don't even feel rewarding. You know, literally in the dinosaur world, after you beat the main story, you'll come back to his ship or something and you'll walk up a hill and look, there's a moon right there waiting for you. And it's like, okay, cool. Um, that's not to say there aren't moons that are hard to get. There are some that are hard to find and even some that are even hard to get because of some platforming challenges. But Pretty much once you're done with a world and you move on to the next, there's really no point to stay in that world or go back to previous worlds unless you're trying to find everything. Like there, It's not like, say, for instance, in Mario 64 when you're in the castle, um, if you want to, I don't know, face Bowser or go upstairs or go down to the basement, you need to collect 30 stars, right? There's no really set number in a way that um once you beat the world and once okay so i take that back there is a set amount of moons that you have to get in each level but majority of the time you're going to get all those moons going through the main story missions of that world and if you don't happen to get all the moons you're probably missing one or two by the end of it because there's moons along the way that you'll find in the main story missions so so as I was saying, once you basically unlock the next world, there's no point in going back to the previous one until unless you are, you know, trying to find everything and trying to find all the moons, you know, which I have been trying to do, which come to find out there's even some moons you can't get until you beat the game. Um, so I think there's over 830 or 850 moons altogether. Um, you only need 120 to beat the game. And. I, I'm already way past it. I think I'm almost up to 200 moons and I'm, I think I'm halfway through the game now. And it's, I don't know. It, it feels like going back and finding the moons feels really pointless. And unless you're trying to, unless you're trying to complete the world basically, but it going back to other worlds doesn't help you progress in the game. Once you unlock the next world, 
the only thing you have to do is go to that next world, beat the story missions, collect enough of the moons to unlock the world after that. So it's it. So I guess when I compare that to Mario 64, when you need to unlock the basement or go upstairs to the third floor, there's no point in going because there's no point in going back to the old worlds like it was in Mario 64, where you had to go back to old worlds to get more stars. There's no point in collecting more moons to worlds you've already beaten or you've unlocked the next world, if that makes any sense. I know that was a very long rambling and I was trying to get to my point, but um, that, that that's just that's one of my big complaints with it. So besides that, the controls are very responsive. It feels very good playing like you don't feel it doesn't feel stiff. It feels very loose. And it feels very responsive as well, too. That is one thing that Nintendo always does well is the feel of the game feels very good. The worlds are very fun to explore and go around. The costumes, I didn't even think I'd give a crap about the costumes that you can buy from Mario. But no, I'm actually trying to unlock all the costumes. I care more about getting the costumes than I do with the moons or anything like that. Um, I do know you need to collect more moons to unlock the costumes. So that's been sort of my main primary goal or that's driving me to, you know, to go back and collect more moons is because I want to get some more of the costumes. I, I didn't think I'd care about it, but for some reason or somehow Nintendo's made me care that I just unlocked the the pirate costume for Mario. And now I'm going around as one eyed Mario and just going, me mateys and, you know, collecting moons now. Um so they do a really good job with that. Um, it's, the game is fun. Even though I do complain that it's easy, the game is just plain out fun. And it's... I, I can't describe it any more than that. It, it's just a fun game. And it's... It, it's... I wouldn't necessarily call it my game of the year. I wouldn't even call... Well, as of right now, it is the best Switch exclusive game. And I emphasize Switch exclusive because Breath of the Wild is not Switch exclusive since it's on Wii U. But as of the all the games that have come out on the Switch, Mario Odyssey is the best one. Um, and it deserves everything. It's, you know, it deserves all the praise it's gotten because it is a really good game. It's really fun. Um, my favorite part of the whole game has been, you know, when you go to New Donk City and you finally get Pauline's concert going and you go through a 2D rendition of Donkey Kong, basically spoilers and, you know, and then Pauline singing the Odyssey song with it, which was really cool. That's been my favorite part of the game. Um, the one Bowser fight I did was really cool. It just, you know, how you have to wear his hat and you punch him down. It it was kind of reminiscent of Mario 64 in a sense and Galaxy a little bit. But um, I don't know. The, even though my complaints seem like I was talking about them a lot, they're not deterring me. They're not making me not want to play the game. Though I will say, and this was something I heard on Twitter and I completely agreed with the guy 100% on, was... I could play Breath of the Wild for hours and want to keep exploring and, you know, oh, I see a mountain over there and I want to go explore that mountain and see what's up there. Mario Odyssey, on the other hand, I can only play in short spurts. It's like if when I if I play for more than an hour, I'm like, OK, I'm done. I feel like I feel like you can almost beat that game in one sitting if you just focused on the main story and 
I feel like that's almost deterring me from enjoying it as much. Maybe I just need to get it over and beat the game and then I can go explore and, you know, try to finish some of these worlds and unlock all the costumes. I don't know. But it, it feels like it's a game that I can't play as long as Zelda, as I did with Zelda. And, um, yeah. So if you don't have a Switch and you're kind of teetering on whether or not getting one, um, Nintendo Switch, out of all the consoles I have, which are just PlayStation, PS4, and the Switch right now, um, Switch is definitely way more enjoyable. The whole hybrid tablet, you know, the handheld and console, it's such a good idea. Um, so glad that Nintendo's doing well, and it, I hope it continues to do well. Um, but yeah, so, and if you're on the fence of getting a Switch in Mario Odyssey, just if you like Nintendo, if you ever like Nintendo, if you want to almost kind of experience that old school kind of Mario 64 feel, Mario Odyssey is right up your alley. Um, don't be deterred by the easiness. It's still a really fun game to explore and play. And the console itself is well worth it. I mean, because there's so many good games coming up on the horizons. There's Xenoblade Chronicles too which I want to play. I've only played Xenoblade Chronicles 1. I never played the Wii U version, but I love the Wii version. I never beat it, but it was a lot of fun. Um, oh God, there's so many fucking games coming out that uh, I don't even want to think about it. But yeah, so my I guess my score on Mario Odyssey would be uh, like a 4.8 out of 5. You know, I think the, the two points... That it's missing is just the two complaints I have, really. But um, definitely worth it. Get it. Such a good game. All right, so that brings us to the end of the show. And I just want to thank you all for listening to me ramble on again, as usual. You survived another week of Zuby's rambling. And I just want to thank you all. And if you wish to contact me in any way, you can find me on Twitter at MagicWithZuby or on Facebook.com slash MagicWithZuby. Uh, my email, mtgzuby at gmail.com. We are on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio on the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageek.com. And we are on podcastradionetwork.net every Tuesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern. And if you want to support the show in any way, you can check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash magicwithzuby. I think that's what it is. And just check it out and look at the tiered rewards. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to change it up a little bit there. But I can't really do anything until I get some actual Patreons there. And yeah, so that is it. If any of you are going to be up in Grand Prix Atlanta, feel free to say hi to me. Um, I think next time I may, for the next Grand Prix I go, I think I may wear a Magic Wazubi t-shirt. Just so, I don't know. And maybe a Magic Wazubi playmat too. I wanted to get like a shirt made or even a hat or something, but I didn't have enough time. And plus I was lazy and didn't feel like paying for it. So um, yeah, there it is. So... Hope you all enjoyed it and have a great night, everybody.
Never saw a highway on the tailgate of Jim Tom's floor with a racing stripe and a 457. You broke my heart. Wasn't there a woman at the beginning of the song? 